Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. <laughs> we just got to come up spontaneously. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Yo, guys, it's Jessie. Hi, Taylor here. And guess what? It's Moon Festival. Yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> I don't even know. What is that? I'm like the baddest Asian. <laughs> and are. also someone who can't use English because I just said baddest. <laughs> Baddest. Okay, anyway, so we're recording on the 1st of October. Yeah. According to the lunar year of 2020, today is the mid-autumn day, Zhongqiujie. Um, so according to Chinese ancient history, however you want to call it. Mm. <laughs> Archaic. Yeah. Um, there's legends about the moon because mm. um, today, the, tonight, the moon will be like the brightest and the roundest. Is that, that even would, a word? Wait, is that, that it will ever be? Yeah, ever, I mean the, the, the whole year oh, right. of, the, of this year. Okay, that's pretty, yeah. that's very beautiful. Why am I not at my friend's place using his telescope? Damn it. <laughs> anyway, go on. Yeah, anyway, so according to um, ancient Chinese history, during this time in, I don't know, the exact <laughs> dates, yeah, I'm very bad Chinese, um, there was a rebellion happening. Mm. So there was this group, of tribe that was trying to signal their comrades is that the word yeah to start a rebellious uh, movement but because they want to send message throughout the country without being noticed um they got people baking this what we call now mooncake what's it called in chinese yeah bin oh yeah yum yeah um and then stuff the messages inside, inside the yeah, bin. yeah that's why the yeah bin is so Fat and Fat, yeah, it you looks have like a lot a ball. of yeah, you have a lot of feelings in it. Oh. And today, well, the past two weeks, I made a first batch. Yeah, Helen, you're extraordinary. And I made another batch this yeah, morning. Yeah, what flavor? Um, it's green tea, um, outside pastry with red bean and oh taro fillings. God, <laughs> oh, I'm just drooling right now listening to you. Anyway, so. Uh, in the past, we have uh, egg yolks inside yeah. Yeah, the mooncake now, yeah, instead of messages, you know. It's a political stance if you want to stuff messages. You know, I'm thinking yeah. like a, a, some some guy who's trying to be romantic might like oh, stuff the yeah. ring inside. To yeah, it's like fortune cooking, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. God, the Chinese are so inventive. Yeah, yeah, we are. We come from very smart people, you we, and I. We, yeah, we are. Even yeah. though like, I don't know, my our mum's side is Taiwanese, but... Like ethnically, we're Chinese, right? Yeah, ethnically we're Chinese, but uh, I don't even know what I, what I mean when I say that, though. I think it's just ethnically. Yeah, what does I ethnically mean? We have, mean? We have nationally we're we're Taiwanese, we're Taiwanese yeah. and Australian, but ethnically, there was a term that I looked up this morning that mm. was really interesting because I made a batch with, um, I made a batch of uh, mooncake with a taro filling, yeah, and in. Taiwanese taro is oa, yeah. And I often heard this term hanji oa when I was growing up. So hanji Chinese is sweet potato, sweet potato. Yeah. yeah. And oa is taro, yeah. and apparently hanji oa, if you put it together, yeah. means like half halfies. Is it not ha- like racially halfies, but it's a mixture of Chinese and Taiwanese. 
So yeah, so it's literally like our grandparents, yeah, yeah, and nai nai, because yeah. one is Taiwanese and, and the one other one Chinese. Chinese, yeah. So yeah, our from father, yeah. So our father, um, our father's father is Chinese, and our father's yeah. mother is Taiwanese. Yeah. So who is um s- the sweet potato and who's taro? Okay, taro is the mainlander Chinese and sweet, sweet potato Taiwanese. Is Chinese. Yeah. Oh. Remember how, how we we grew up eating? Mum said that they yeah. ate a lot of sweet potato. Yeah, mum said up. that that was all she ate. Like yeah. She got drunk on it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> our mum, our, our mother grew up on a farm. Yeah. Apparently she was very poor. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So it was really easy to grow sweet potato in Taiwan. Yeah, so right. apparently that is a term for, like, I don't know if it's a slur, but people call Taiwanese as hanji, sweet potato. Oh, yeah. Okay. More it's healthy. Yeah, it is healthy. Well, when I was in the Solomon Islands, they had um, taro and cassava, cassava, yeah. cassava, <clears throat> something yeah. like that. Yeah, the root, yeah, the root stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so inside the filling, you said taro. Uh-huh. What did you mix taro with? Oh, just sugar and butter. Okay, and where did you buy taro? Because I don't think a lot of Australians know taro. Oh, I think Harris Harris from sells them. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Harris von Selsen, cool. but I got the one from the Chinese Asian, yeah, yeah, Asian supermarket okay. near mum and dad's place. Oh, nice, yeah. in Hornsby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, uh, do you want to start with what you've what been I, doing? Yeah, so um, uh, we, um, my bunch of awesome posses and I have been going through a bunch of um, rom-coms <laughs> from the 90s and 2000s. Anyway, we did Sleepers in Seattle this last weekend, which was really lovely. Um, I think we're trying to go through all the Nora Ephron canon. Okay. You know? Yeah, and so uh, two weeks ago we did You've Got Mail, which is literally my favourite movie, one of the top five movies. You can't stop talking I can't about stop, it. Yeah, it's just the fucking best film ever. And then so we watched, I think You've Got Mail was 1999 mm-hmm. and Sleepers in Seattle was 1993. Yeah, so we're going backwards, uh-huh. um, but we found a lot of similarities between the two films. Um, other than, oh, I mean, apart from the fact that you know the two leads, Tom Meg Hanks Ryan. and Meg Ryan, are the yeah. same. Uh-huh. Um, but um, I also watched a Netflix cheesy rom com called <laughs> Love on the Menu, I believe, okay. which is like really, really cheesy. But I, I liked it because it um, started off in New York, and then the protagonist Caroline Wilson, who is a restaurant like hotshot restaurant person, chef, um, she goes back to Australia because her great aunt had a cafe in Australia and her great aunt has died. Okay. So she uh-huh. needs to go back to just like monet- manage the... She wants to sell the cafe. Okay. And the, the romantic interest is this the most like basic white Australian dude played by Tim. Aussie dude. Yeah, Aussie dude <laughs> oh, played God. by Tim Ross who's oh, like... God. Who's really handsome, uh-huh. and like the whole film, he like there's no he has no substance, but, but that's <laughs> yeah. okay because he's so he's hot, good looking. he's yeah, so ridiculously <laughs> good looking that you just like you don't mind. Yeah. But it's such a charming film, like it's really charming. It's mm-hmm. it's it doesn't try to be anything it's not, and I liked it. It's just really sweet. Why does this rom com always have to start from like New York or London or major cities? Seems um, like it's always. Isn't yeah, it? because it's part of just like why do people make rom coms? Because um, it appeals to people like 
you know, me, people, girls who, you know, still believe in true love. And it's like, it's just, a, it's a fantasy. Yeah, it And is. a lot of us can't afford to live in big cities. Mm. And so, like, the extension of that fantasy is the idea of the big city fulfilling yeah. your dream. Yeah. But, the, I mean, it starts off in New York, like I said, but it quickly moves away from it. So, um, mm. it's set in a fictional town in, uh, it's a seaside town in Queensland. Okay. And I didn't know it was fictional because, like, I thought Lemon Myrtle Cove was an actual place. <laughs> Yeah, it's called Lemon Myrtle Cove, um, but but I googled it and there is no Lemon Myrtle Cove in Queensland. Okay. Yeah, what did you watch this week? Um, because school holiday, so I've just been watching kids stuff uh, with my daughter. Um, we watched Babe on Monday night. You mean like the original film? Yeah, the original that film. That's an effing good film. Yeah, and literally she just cried halfway through the film. She's like. Why does everyone want to eat pork? You know, we shouldn't be eating pork. We yeah. shouldn't be eating is she, pig. Is she still, is she a vegger? Um, she's considering to be a, like a vegan, which is really funny because... I she, think she should. She, she keeps saying that, oh, we shouldn't eat meat mm. and it's not nice. Mm. But when she is presented with komba... <laughs> Wait, is wait, our favorite dish. Yeah, so can you just tell the listeners what kombai yeah. is? Kombai is this traditional Chinese dish that is made with um, pork Minced. belly, yeah. pork belly, oh, yeah, and five spice, yeah. uh, soy sauce, and braised for like a couple of hours. It's, the, it's so delicious. Yeah, it's it's one of her favorite dish. <laughs> But it's so funny when she keeps saying that we shouldn't eat meat, and she just contradicts herself. Uh, yesterday uh, we were, um, we went to bushwalk with the friends, and after the bushwalk, um, she wanted to have lunch earlier. Then we say, "Oh, okay, let's just go and have lunch since our friends are all here with us." Mm. And she decided to. She was telling me that she wants to go to like one of the Korean restaurant here, mm. you know, the other side In of Hornsby, the yeah, yeah Hornsby. And when we sit down, she looks through the menu. And she's saying that, oh, how come there's no vegan dishes here? She's not complaining. Oh, I love her so much. <laughs> and this girl is seven years old. <laughs> That's so funny. And I say, oh, okay, but there's no, there, there is vegetarian dishes, but none of them are the ones that she liked. Yeah. She didn't want to really, like, there was tofu dishes, but they were super spicy, you know, oh, like okay. a, a lot yeah. of Korean restaurants, most of their menus are on spicy side. And <laughs> she picked pork chop. And she ate it. <laughs> yeah, she ate it. Because that's like the fried item. That's yeah. a fried food. And all the kids like fried food. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Did she know that she was eating a pig? Yeah, she does. <laughs> so I think, I don't know how is she going to get over the idea of becoming a vegetarian or a vegan. I have a lot yeah. of very close friends who are vegans. And I'm very proud of that. Because mm-hmm. it means, it shows me that they care about the world. It's just, it's such a, it's such a understated and yet monumental statement, you know, to be a vegan. Yeah. I really think that, I mean, I, I, I was a vegan for a couple of years in my 20s, but I did it for stupid reasons. What was the reason? Oh, because I wanted to be white. Uh, because everyone I knew yeah. who were vegan were white and beautiful and that appealed to me. We I mean, were... I obviously didn't know that there was a reason when I was doing it, but mm. like the lifestyle seemed very glamorous. And yeah. also I liked eating different types of foods. Uh-huh. And being a vegan meant that you were actively looking for different ways of mm. nourishing yourself. Yeah, I think socially we were going to... When we going to, when we going to like do a pod about 
how vegan or the choice of food is socially or culturally influenced, whether or not mm. that is a privileged group that yeah, totally, totally. can choose to yeah. become a vegan. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, not everyone of course, yeah. can have the options. Yeah, yeah. it's very economically tied. Um, yeah, as is. in, like, it's not a... There's a reason why there are vegan restaurants in Newtown and Bondi. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the eastern suburbs. Because yeah. only those people can afford That's to right. be picky with what they eat. <laughs> Yeah. All right, uh, let's take a break and we'll return with uh, one more catch-up uh-huh. aspect and um, before we launch into our Moon Festival slash poetry pod <laughs> episode. Catch you soon! <laughs> Yo, guys, we're back. So, um... I make this trip to mum's place, which is where we are right now in Hornsby, like maybe every week or every second week. Mm-hmm. And um, Helen and I are both here because of the Moon Festival. Yep. And so on my way here, I was listening to my favorite app, Autumn, mm-hmm. and um, um, an article by uh, a woman called Latria Graham. She's a black journalist. Okay. And the article was published in Outside Magazine. And um, I was crying while I was oh. listening. I actually listened to two articles on my yeah. way here, and both ta- both articles made me sob. Like I was like literally like streams oh. of tears coming down my face while I was driving because. So this first one talks about how Latria, um, as a black woman, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, Helen, but a lot of outdoor spaces like camping and trekking and hiking. If you think about the. The, even the ads that you see on, you know, posters like Kathmandu, or if you think about the films, the mm-hmm. documentaries, you, or if you see, think about the bodies that you encounter when you're rock climbing, Helen rock mm-hmm. climbs, they're always usually white, right? Like, or very affluent people. Yeah, you yeah. hardly ever see black people, you know, being mm-hmm. advertised um, doing these outdoor activities. And uh, unless it's sports, you mean if it's Nike or Adidas? Oh yeah, right, right. Specific sportsmen. Yeah, but I'm yeah, yeah, but I'm talking not about sport. I'm talking about like just outdoor hiking. General, yeah, yeah, like yeah, going out true. for camping, things like that. Yeah. And so she talks about how um, her mother taught her lessons um, as a young child. Like her mum was saying things like, um, "When you go out into the world, um, your body." is seen as this dangerous thing and mm-hmm. it's for other people it's seen it's perceived as a weapon right because people fear the black body and uh, there's this one scene in the article where her mum says um if you're ever stopped by a cop just comply 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 don't don't even mm-hmm. just just com- yeah. and like when she said that line i was just crying because like that's how you and I like we're not black, but like just people who are not white, Mm-mm. we are forced to almost comply and just follow the instructions of the white person mm-hmm. because we literally don't want to fucking die. Yeah. You know, it's an, actually a matter of life and death. Yeah. I think it's been happening um, quite often and very prevalent discussed in the last couple of years how the black how black just normal general citizens particularly in US and we're talking about in Australia perhaps to compare to the US African Americans will be like uh, indigenous or Torres Strait Island here Mm. just simply someone who have darker skin Mm. have a um, they become easier targets for authorities 
exactly. aren't they? Yeah, exactly. and they've been treated a lot more harsher. Yeah, I mean, we have what uh, the Royal Commission into the what's a youth detention in Northern Territory, isn't it? Yeah, mm. about Indigenous kids that's been incarcerated for. Mm. You know, we're talking about generations. Yeah. And a lot of um, just general public, they're not aware of this kind of thing, particularly, I, I'll say Asians. They're just not aware of how the overall society and the history has been treating indigenous yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. I think also Asian, the Asian population often are not invested in educating themselves about black history mm-hmm. because we're actually quite adjacent to whiteness. Like, yeah. if you think about True. our yeah. um, model minority, you know, we kind of think, okay, we're just going to try and ascend ourselves as much as we can closer to, you know, continu- uh, closer to proximity to whiteness, to whiteness and yeah. just leave everyone behind. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah. That's why I always say that it is, like, when, particularly in Western nations, there's always, like, a bigger power. Of course, it's the white power above everyone else that's in the country making the divisive problem within you know amongst the groups amongst the minorities yeah that's right yeah 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 Yeah. um my second article that i haven't finished because it was an hour long but i started which also made me bawl my eyes out was uh, linda greenhouse's article in the new york times and it was titled ruth bader ginsburg supreme court's feminist icon is dead at 87 so it came out last week um when uh ruth bader ginsburg died passed away yeah um at the age of 87, like mm-hmm. the title says. Um, so her, um, I, I, I won't go into the, I don't think it's like an, an, an excellent article because it's not structured very well. Um, it's not very compelling. I like a compelling article. And what I mean when I use that word compelling is it needs to have like a really um, forward driving momentum with an apex at the, with a sort of like a climax at some stage and troughs and, you know, down peaks and all that. But this article kind of just scatters information about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life. Um, so many interesting things, which um, was also covered in that film two years ago, played by Felicity. Yeah, yeah, um, which I loved. Um, but but the p- point in the article where I cried was when the um, – when they read out the letter in which Marty, her husband, Mm -hmm. had written her on his deathbed. Um, Yeah, so he died in 2010, 10 years ago, and he wrote um, something along the lines of, Dear Ruth, um, you are the only person I have truly ever loved, Mm -hmm. and I've been honoured to share this life with you and see you grow. And, oh, my (laughs) God, it's just just so fucking lovely, right, when you... When you have someone that is truly there for you throughout, not only the family value, but also as a value, the whole human system is particularly for the, you know, he, he's pretty much a feminist himself, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want to idolize a public figure who, you know, we don't actually know. He might have done, he might have been an asshole. We never know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously. But on the surface of things, it really looked like he was a feminist mm-hmm. and, um, I think in an interview years later, Ruth did say that um, when she met Marty, she was eighteen. She was seventeen when she met him. Mm-hmm. Such a lucky woman. Um, she said that he was the first and only man in her life to have respected and seen her for her intellectual capacity. Oh, and I was just like, good. "That's what I want. Yeah. I want just a man who's not scared about meeting me at my level." Yeah. You know? He shouldn't have written the book. 
I don't know if he yeah. has he written a book as in like teaching how men know. to yeah. respect women and shits like that. I know, you know? just yeah. some basic principles of how to be with women. You know, not the forceful way of viewing women as an object. Yeah, yeah, an object. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, anyway, um, I have been reading Zoya Patel's uh, "No Country Woman" this week. And yeah, her debut book. Yeah, a memoir. You gave it. You passed it on to me like months ago. Yeah, I, I love only, that woman. She's I've a only, great ally. <laughs> I've only started reading this week, and when I'm reading it, I was just thinking this could be a book that Jesse's been writing. Oh yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's so just, similar to us. It's, it's just so similar, especially to you. Why? About how she is um, fighting between the two cultures mm-hmm. and how she reflects herself. Um, White boyfriend. Yeah, <laughs> about how she trying to identify herself as a Fijian Indian as well as an Indian, and the complicated relationship she has with the um, parents, her parents as well. As, yeah. yeah, and and also the language she's taking it up, like she's saying that oh, I feel um, language is a very deep connection to our own culture, even so that she's been growing up in Australia you know, for most part of her life, but because of her colour of her skin, that there's still a connection, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I was just talking to my friend yesterday, Mm -hmm. um, her daughter, um, shout out to Stephanie, because she landed me (laughs) the books of the Chinese poetry, which we'll be talking about a bit later. Mm -hmm. Her daughter was born in, like, she's Taiwanese, her daughter's born in Australia, but she's been going to Chinese school since she was... I think three or four. Her daughter. Yeah, her daughter, Sylvia. And this is the 10th year. And her daughter is one of the um, smart, intelligent, clever young lady that I've met. And she can speak really fluent Chinese. And she reads Chinese as well. Oh, what a legend. Yeah, she's, she's, like, she's having an education in Australia. And she's been to Chinese school every Saturday, you know, during school turn. And I just feel like... Like, sometimes people question her, like, well, what's the point for a child growing up in Australia learning Chinese? Yeah. She's saying that, oh, it's not for her future careers or things like that. I just want her to maintain that connection with me and also um, her grandparents as well. Mm. Like, sometimes we feel a bit upset because our kids, like my kids, um, don't have that it's slowly losing the connection with their grandparents because there's a language barrier eventually, yeah. That's really sad. That's why I was telling Aya to recite the poems yesterday. Yeah. You know, did you, you, did of... you put that on our Instagram post? You should. No, really I cute. haven't. I don't know if she wants to be exposed publicly. She doesn't care. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I'll just... she, she might sue you in like 10 years' time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might put an audio. Yeah, okay. I might put an audio file. But she's her. so cute. Yeah, she's so funny. But it's so funny about how reciting of Chinese poem would just ingrained into your mind. Because when I was asking her about half an hour ago when we were doing the ceremony downstairs, and if she remembered, and she actually remembered the first line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. which was what? 床前明月光. Yeah, so we'll be... Should we take a break now or should we start? Um, Yeah, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk about Chinese poetry. So we're back. And so I guess this week I 
So I subscribe to the New York Review of Books. I, I love reading book reviews. I love reading how people think about – often book reviews are written by um, other writers and mm-hmm. – it's like a conversation that writers have with each other, you know, responding, <laughs> okay. respond, you know, responding to each other. And I really, <laughs> yeah, I know why I'm you're laughing, laughing because I'm talking yeah. about the chaotic. Okay, yeah, which like we we probably mentioned one day, but not right now. Um, but um, so this week I opened up my um email and there was a um an article written by Madeline Deng, mm-hmm. um, uh, about Chinese poets. So. Uh, there have been three new biographies of Chinese poets that have been released in the last couple of months. And so she reviews them. Oh, wow. And yeah, so Madeline Thane, for those who don't know, she in 2016, she was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize for her novel, which was very famous mm-hmm. when during that year. It was called um, Do Not Say We Have Nothing Left. Uh, it's a book about musicians who suffered during and after the Cultural Revolution in China. And um, she engages with this, um, with these two, three uh, biographies of um, two prominent Chinese poets. And uh, so the first one I want to talk about is this guy called Li Bai, mm-hmm. Helen. And um, so Li Bai lived during the Tang Dynasty, mm-hmm. um, which is around like 700, 760 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, which is more than a thousand, two thousand, a thousand years old, more than a thousand, close to fifteen, fifteen hundred years, yeah. years ago. Uh, yeah. Which, like in my head, I can't even fathom. Yeah. And yet we're you know reading what? his work, which we'll talk about in a minute. I know yeah, we're still so reading the words of someone who lived and the thoughts of yes. someone who lived uh-huh. like fifteen hundred years ago. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um so um Li Bai, um he grew up in Sichuan province um and he wrote poems for many years. Um and he was married four times. And when I said that to him. <laughs> yeah, when I said that to Helen, what did you say? Good you said him. Oh <laughs> uh, no, but you said because he roamed around a lot, right? Yeah, he was a wanderer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A nomad. And um, so this article not only talks about Li Bai, but also his friendship with Du Fu. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, Du Fu. He's got the same surname yeah. as us. So we could be related to him. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So um, our, Helen and I, our surname is like T-U. Well, mine is. Helen, you changed yeah. yours legally. Bad feminist. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, so mine is two, T-U. Yeah. But actually that was wrong, right? Yeah. When we changed our name. Yeah. yeah. Phonetically, it should be... D-U. D-U. Yeah. yeah, so we should be, I should D-U. be Jesse D-U. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, Li Bai is considered someone who's like, who's known for his clear imagery and conversational tone in his poems. And he was also um, influenced, he also influenced a number of 20th century poets mm-hmm. who people might know more about as Repound, oh, famous okay. guy, and James Wright. Well, English, are they English? Uh Ezra Pound and James Wright, I don't know. I should know but this. But they're white. Yeah. Um, I think, I feel like Ezra Pound is not white. Ezra sounds more like, I don't uh, know, Maybe Latino? Spanish or something, yeah. yeah. Um, embarrassing. <laughs> I should know this. Um, but anyway, the new biography is written by a novelist. I don't know, Helen, if you've heard of him. He's called Ha Jing. Yes. yes oh, I, you have? I have heard of oh him, my but God. I haven't read his work. Right, yeah. He's yeah, apparently... Chinese again. Yeah, he's apparently written 18 books. Mm. This is his 18th book. Yeah, like, what wow. the heck? And he's a mum's age. Uh-huh. So he was born in 86, 56. Yeah. 
Um, so he was born in China, and then at the age of 29, he moves to the United States to study at Brandeis University, which is a private university in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And since then, he's now teaching at Brown University. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so um, that's my dream. You know, like, I want to follow. In US. Yeah, I want to go and live mm-hmm. in the US and also, like, write 18 books mm-hmm. by the yeah. time I'm 60, whatever, eight, whatever yeah. he is. But, um, yeah, tell me about what you thought about okay, these so two guys. You were telling me you want to do Chinese poet last, like, over the weekend. Yeah. I was just thinking, what? Uh, why can't, how can suddenly, random. Yeah, yeah, it's very random. Well, because cause you know I love poetry. Yeah, you love poetry, but you never really dig into Chinese No, poetry. I don't dig into yeah. any Ch- in Chinese. Yeah, so. Bad that's... Asian. <laughs> We're just like, we yeah. shaming each other today. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, anyway, so I was just looking through Chinese poetry. So I was just thinking, um, yeah, I, I recited, we were taught to recite Chinese poetry, like even in kindergarten. When you were in, in Taiwan, Taiwan. Yeah. yeah. So Helen came to Australia in year six. Year five, when I was 10. Okay. Yeah, so I have deeply, there's a, there are a couple of poems that's deeply uh, painted into your mind nice. that you would okay. not forget okay literally so mm-hmm. here's one that i'm just gonna recite and then explain it to you this one is by li bai and it's called jing ye si chuang qian ming yue guang yi si di shang shuang ju tou wang ming yue di tou si gu xiang so i thought that this poem is very relevant for today because it's a poem about um moonlight mm. um so we're having like moon festival today mm. Uh, if uh, I'm gonna just translate it uh, for our listeners. Okay. Can you mm. let's say the line, and I'll say the English translation. Oh, okay. So you've got it yeah. in front of you. Okay. 床前明月光, Bright moonlight before my bed. I suppose it is frost on the ground. I raise my head to view the bright moon. Then lower it. Thinking of my home village. Yeah, I think it's still very relevant. You think about it. You were talking about a poem that's been written fifteen hundred years ago, and we like there's a connection over the space and time when you're reciting this poem. You feel mm. like, particularly for people of immigrants, I think it will uh, affect more for our parents emotionally because you're looking at the moon. You're looking at the same moon as that the he... people that. Mm-hmm. Have seen fifteen hundred years ago, as well as at the same it's now. Um, but you're thinking about people of your native land that mm-hmm. is looking up at the same moon. Oh, yeah. so beautiful. There's yeah. something transcendent about that, isn't there? Yeah, it is. Like yeah. um, last week, I went over to a friend's place, and he got a, like a really powerful telescope. Mm-hmm. Um, he did his PhD in astrophysics. He got a telescope for his um. 30th birthday oh wow and so he showed me we looked at the night sky <laughs> mm-hmm. and i saw the moons of jupiter oh wow it was fucking amazing uh-huh. i felt like i had seen something that only a few people get to see mm. like it was incredible yeah, yeah and i saw we saw saturn as well uh-huh. like saturn and the ring the ring yeah oh, but yeah. it was uh-huh. i i i wasn't as impressive as jupiter and the uh-huh. moons like jupiter and the moons mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I saw the, the bands of gas, the uh-huh. pink bands around Jupiter. Wow. It was fucking incredible. Yeah. When, you, when you're when reading the poems like this and when you're looking up the sky, mm. you think 
like how tiny I know that's you it. are. That's it. That's what I love about yeah. anything to do with space. Yeah, I like I, just looking at the looking up at the night sky reminds you how mm. insignificant we are, yeah. which I think is such a useful emotion to have. Yeah, because you is. don't take yourself too seriously. That's right. Yeah, and particularly I think I think Jesse wants to focus on the value of literature when we're doing this pod because when she was telling me, I was thinking, okay. We never really look into poetry, especially Chinese poetry before. And then I start reading, you know, the poems I was like forced, literally forced to recite when I was younger. And you kind of reflect on the quality of these poems that you will only understand when you've lived through a certain life experience. I mean, kids wouldn't understand because they literally have no real feelings about yeah, reciting or, yeah, or the, the significance yeah. of the moon yeah that's right yeah yeah um yeah i i wanted to say there like um it's really interesting because i i think about if i ever re- oh i know what i recited when i was in year four dorothy mckellar's my country oh Remember? okay yeah. i love my sunburnt country uh-huh. and the land of sweeping yeah. plains yeah. and then i don't remember that's very Aussie. i don't remember yeah. what's after that <laughs> Do you remember? I don't oh, yeah, remember you didn't, either. Yeah, yeah, you didn't recite. But that's literally the only poem I re- remember. And then Mr. Milner, who was my year seven teacher in English, mm-hmm. um, who I don't know if he's still alive, actually. But uh, anyway, he made us recite poetry in year seven. And he kind of was the person who made me fall in love with poetry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Douglas is the one who really got me started on writing. And he's now, mm-hmm. unfortunately, de- dead. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, <laughs> sorry, that's not funny. It's not funny that he's dead because I'm like more, I'm like, yeah, very saddened by that. Yeah. But um, we're laughing because we're kind of at, at the space of not know what to say. Well, I, I wanted to say, yeah, <laughs> it's, I, I, we'll, we'll hear Helen recite a few more poems later, but I wanted to bring it back to um, heart. Hajin. Yeah, so um, the dude who wrote his 18th novel is a biography of Li Bai. It's, the book is called The Banished Immortal. Mm-hmm. And I think it just talks about how um, the kind of life that Li Bai lived. Mm-hmm. Um, so he lived from seven, seven, 701 AD to mm-hmm. 762. So. Yeah. So how old was he when 61. he died? Sixty-one. Yeah, which is I think I think perhaps quite extraordinary during that, that time. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, um, he had a really close friendship with a dude who we might be related to called <laughs> Du Fu. Yeah, yeah, Du How do you say his name? Du Fu. Du Fu. Yeah. So Du Fu was a Chinese poet, and he also has a new biography out. Um, by a guy, a, a white dude called <laughs> David Hinton, uh-huh. who um, translates, also translates his stuff. So okay. Hinton has spent years, obviously, learning Chinese. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and so Du Fu was a Chinese poet and politician, also during yep. the Tang, 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 yeah, Tang, Tang dynasty. dynasty. Yeah. And what I found really lovely about these two guys was that they were friends. Mm-hmm. And apparently people are now saying like they might have been lovers. But, like, who knows? I feel like any relationship people might now, through the lens of 2020, think, oh, there might have been something there. And maybe yeah. there was. Yeah, you know, now that we was. have the language yeah. and now that we're more open about things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, what I find more beautiful is that they wrote poems to each to other. other. Yep, yeah, that's right. Which yeah. I just think is the epitome of love. 
great yeah. love. The it's expression. Like the expression, yeah, to yeah. express to one another. Not erotic love or romantic love, just love in the sense that I respect you, I see you, mm-hmm. I care about your intellectual mm-hmm. and emotional world. Yep. And something about the poem that really allows the full spectrum and intensity of this kind of shared mutual love of their life and their respect mm-hmm. for yeah. each other is yeah. so astonishing yeah i want to i used to actually yeah there I, I feel like there was one boyfriend who i did write poems to but he wasn't a poet so he would just like write back letters to me uh-huh. but i would write love poems to him which like in hindsight now makes me think i was pretty cheesy yeah. but you know i want to keep doing that yeah. and so anyway these these dudes did that yeah so apparently um Du Fu and Li Bai, they met in the year uh, 744 when uh, Li Bai was around mid-40s and Du Fu was in his mid-30s. So they have, they have like a 10-year yeah. age gap, yeah, yeah. 10 or 11 years age gap. And they were from, both of them were from very different family backgrounds. Oh, yeah? As in Li Bai were from like a merchant family and mm-hmm. Du Fu was growing up in like a politi- politician yeah. type of background. Yeah, his dad was a general, wasn't he? Yeah. Something like that. And the according to some of the history data, they mm-hmm. say there was a destiny for them to meet, meet oh. because um, they had such a... Even though they, they have very different family and um, I think hierarchical yeah. or like social status. Cast. Yeah, caste. Mm. Yeah, um, and they were they were just click. They they click in the sense because both of them were re- writing poems and they were writing in very very similar styles. Mm. And we can say now, as Jesse was saying, that you know we can interpret their relationship very openly now. Mm. Um, people are saying that they might have a loving relationship because they were writing poems to each other, particularly as in Dufu because he was a younger guy in the relationship he has written um 15 poems to him even so even yeah to Li Bai even after his death Mm. like uh in memory of Li Bai Mm. as in praising how well that he has written his poems and how much he missed him Mm. yeah that's beautiful yeah do you think like if people have passed away Mm. you often don't write down a lot of things but I think Li uh, Du Fu has um, collected his thoughts and has written down his emotion and perhaps his love as well to Li Bai in those poems. Well, I mean, yeah, they a lot of poem uh, poets have done that since since these do do dudes like a mm. lot of English poets, you know, Yeats, Wordsworth, Shelley, and more contemporary um, people, Anne Sexton, um, Ted Hughes, uh, uh, Philip Larkin. All the beat poets, they dedicated poems to each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they like I said before, conversations. They're having a conversation, a public conversation with with um with people who they saw had moved through the world the same way that they did. You mm-hmm. know, like knew the the sort of weight and fragility and the importance of language and poet poems, you mm-hmm. know, the significance of poems. Like yeah, I've been thinking a lot about uh, why poetry speaks to me and why it's always spoken to me because um, it's the most kind of condensed and efficient way of com- of conveying something with the least amount of words, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like no single word is wasted yeah, on a line yeah. in a poem. 
um and also a poem a poem doesn't have any practical use in the world right like if there was no poetry people would not die but poems have like art um are the reason mm-hmm. i live yeah like if there was no literature or books in this world i, I would absolutely have no reason to live like mm-hmm. my what speaks to me in this world is what happens on the page yeah yeah true i agree mm. um i think literature and art is the most well at least to me the most important essence of being a human i mean you have to been like the differences between us and animals or primitive animals it's the our ability to communicate and using different methods of communication for example arts literacy like you know writing novels essays and poems to express ourselves i think that's what really truly makes us human and what uh li bai and duofu has done you know we're talking about <laughs> guys that's 1500 years yeah, ago dead for thousands yeah, of years yeah i know and we still reading their poems i know and we can still resonate their feeling and their emotion at that time even we're compared to now yeah yeah it's so incredible yeah i think that's that's why i often think like my only reason for living is to put something out into the world mm-hmm. um and so even like i have this great friend um sl lim who's a phenomenal writer she's mm-hmm. fucking phenomenal she's a genius mm-hmm. um and uh she i reviewed her book revenge um in the guardian a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and she and i were having a discussion the other day about why who we write for and i said that i only write for people who are living right now mm-hmm. and she said no i actually write for people who are generations to come after me yeah. she was thinking about the future mm-hmm. because she says that what currently what she puts down on the page she feels like it will speak more strongly to people who are not yet have not yet existed on this planet and i mm-hmm. just thought wow that is mind blowing yeah because yeah. i don't even think about the future like i don't maybe i do care whether or not lonely girl is re- read in 500 years time mm-hmm. but i actually don't like i actually think if it helps one person currently mm-hmm. feel less lonely mm-hmm. then i have i feel like i've done something useful in for in my life yeah i want to mention that while i was taking the doing the research for this um topic um there is one Taiwanese scholar professor that is worth mention oh, yeah. Jiang Xun um I sent you his TED talk oh, video it was so beautiful yeah. it was so beautiful so he recited a poem as well we'll uh, put that link yeah. in our show notes it's like I urge everyone to watch that it's, video clip it's only like 20 minutes 24 minutes yeah where he talks about use 18 minutes of your time even if it's once in the month or even once in your lifetime reupon think about it and reflect how is that impacts your life oh, and had you read that poem you, you listened no, to I that didn't. poem no oh, i listened that to the, the poem, poem that he recited yeah, yeah, yeah but i didn't just, understand what it was saying um oh, actually i had the um aussie captions down the bottom oh yeah English, you got the english captions yeah, yeah, yeah. so the video have english captions yeah. so What's Essentially, he's talking about the relationship. Um, I I feel bad because I didn't research on the poem that he was reciting. I think it's probably one of his poems that he written. Yeah. Um, he was talking about the relationship with of two parties and how one is engaging to another. Um, if 
metaphorically that if we're just going to talk about he's talking about two parties if we're talking about two humans Mm. one follows the other as in how if you are a certain object i will be the one that embraces you Mm. and if you uh are sad i will be um something like i'll be the tear on your pillow something like that yeah just watch that video (laughs) i don't think i yeah it was really really beautiful I don't think I explained it better than him, but he was, Jiang Xun is one of the very top scholar in Chinese literature in Taiwan. And I think he's got a couple of books that's translated in English as well. Um, Six Lessons of Loneliness. Yeah, really? Yeah. Oh I my think, God, I have to read it. Yeah. Anything I, about loneliness, I'm fucking onto it. Yeah, it, I think it's really, really good. And he explained it in a way that you understand, not like a very ancient Con- type yeah. of... Yeah, convoluted Yeah, shit. very difficult to understand. Yeah. Can I also just urge listeners to watch him in that video because mm-hmm. um, there's something... His tone of voice. Yeah, there's something yeah. beautiful about the Chinese language, Mandarin, that mm-hmm. it gives way to beautiful poetry yeah don't you think there's yeah. like something about the tonality mm-hmm. the inflection the intonation yeah that's right oh. the intonation so i watched another youtube video of his seminar in mm-hmm. taiwan this is like two years ago where he explained poems and the intonation of the rhymes in each poem mm-hmm. that sounds like seeing a song oh. because he was explaining in that video of how poems in ancient time does not come by by top scholars or literary um, superpower, but they were expressed by just normal people or farmers out working in the farm and something come up to them when they're looking out in the field and there's a certain uh, emotional um, expression that they want to express and just come out of their mouth. Yeah. Yeah, because think about it. These people lived um, before Bach, Beethoven... Before mm. music, before yeah, music as we, you and I know Between it. Between a lot of Western you know? civilization. Yeah, yeah, like it's incredible to think that we could reach back in time and have a psychic relationship and emotional relationship and mm-hmm. an intellectual relationship with yeah. these men. Yeah. With these Chinese men. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so... I, I think I, I really appreciated that, you know, we had people like um, Ha Jing and David Hilton, you know, writing, spending their lives, dedicating mm-hmm. years of their life, researching the lives of these men who have lived so long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, like, I did think maybe I should have focused on Chinese um, women poets, and I'd, I'm sure we will do a pod on that yeah. one day. Yeah. Um, but I... Because you know, you we this is a feminist podcast. Yeah, of course. But um, there was something about uh, like when I read Madeline Thien's um article that mm-hmm. I just thought it's so important for people to know about these guys, and and also it made me think about, you know, if I wanted to ever write a biography of a someone important, like mm-hmm. I've been thinking recently about how a lot of my favorite writers in the past they have all came out, they all came out with um biographies like Susan Sontag. Mary McCarthy, um, mm-hmm. Renata Adler, um, who else? Um, Joan Didion. Yeah, they these women all kind of dedicated their lives, Janet Malcolm, to another person who mm-hmm. lived before them. Like Alice Walker was the one person who revived um, Zora Neale Hurston. Yeah, um, so she revived her 
and no like she was she died in like isolation and no one knew about her extraordinary work but she mm-hmm. was an extraordinary writer so you know like it's so important for writers to reach back in time and pull all those people who have been forgotten by history mm-hmm. pull them out mm-hmm. from under the Definitely. cloak of obscurity and make people see that you know yeah. we have important people back in history that we can't afford to forget yeah and especially for languages like chinese yeah. where the majority of english speakers don't have the access to li bai and du fu um the importance of their work needed to be shared across the language not just like the chinese nowadays which i think a lot of chinese kids probably don't even really look into their um work that's why i'm very like grateful for people like jiang xun in taiwan mm-hmm. he continues to um make their work seen in the public and make people think about it okay yeah mm. yeah um can we finish off this podcast helen with mm-hmm. one more poem oh yeah sure um one of my fav one of my favorite poems that mm-hmm. um i didn't it's just something that i have to look at through the book and i just look at it and i thought oh this is one of the poems that i was reading like when i was six or something like oh, that wow, yeah oh wow i love um, it but when you're reading it when you're six you don't really think about it but now you're rereading it again as an adult and mm. experience through like relationship family shit's career you know and you kind of have a particular emotion that you know that you resonate yeah. with it yeah. so this poem is called xiang si um and who's it by it's by wang wei <clears throat> i'll just read it first and i'll explain it Planted in South Country, mm-hmm. um, uh, it blossomed during the autumn month. I encourage uh, the gentleman to pick a couple. This item is for nostalgic. And oh. it's representing um, the, the expression of the emotion that when you miss someone, you have red beans with you. Um, I think there's a, I don't know if in English culture you have, um, if they have similar items that when you send to someone that it represent love. And so red bean in very ancient Chinese culture, it representing that you're missing someone and you send that item because it's like, you know, through mail that you can send Send it through mail. It also keeps well. Yeah, and it also keeps well. Um, 
kid. I guess white people would uh. send chocolate. <laughs> yeah, cocoa beans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it kind of like um, how we have poppies on people's jackets yeah. in um, Anzac Day? Yeah, like something like that. So in the book that uh, my friend Stephanie lent to me, uh, the background story is that there's a le- ancient legend. Uh, there was a uh, girl that is full of emotion that her lover have left her and there was um, no news from him for a very, very long time. Oh, it didn't say him or her. Anyway, her, yeah. her lover left her. Yeah. And when she was standing under like a vine tree and she kept thinking about her lover and she started crying and when her tear dry, her eyes start pour- pouring out blood and when the blood <laughs> um, spilled onto the tree, uh, it blossoms the red into azuki beans. Yeah, into azuki beans. That's so, so that's the legend. That's so beautiful. That's yeah. so dramatic. Yeah, that's so dramatic. It's so yeah. So when you look at a lot of poems, generator when you're looking at the nature scenes and it connects with human emotions. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like that poem was written when. Uh, one way I'll say about the similar time as Li Bai. Yeah, and so Zufu. yeah, that is a, a guy. Yeah. Okay, so Wang Wei was writing about um, a girl who was like heartbroken, heartbroken with a lover leaving, and he expressed it through you know the azuki beans. But like, I don't know if you've ever had your heart broken, but I have Mm. met multiple times, and you know, like that makes me more like I feel like I'm a human. Yeah, and and like I could connect to this human that he was describing. Yeah, absolutely. Years ago. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. That's the power of poetry. That's right, yeah. That's the power of literature. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important because philosophically we're talking about um, values of art and literature. Um, it's kind of slowly uh, disappearing in the last hundred years or so because with the capitalism, people value different things yeah. like material goods yeah. and the stability of life, whereas poets like Li Bai and they're wanderers in their own life and they can just write these kind of things. Well, to finish off today's um, episode, what I'd like to do (laughs) is um, get both... Well, Helen has recited a poem in Chinese. Um, I wanted to ask Helen if you had a favourite poem. It doesn't have to be by a Chinese person. Um, or an Asian person. I like the poems that I recite today, the Jin Ye Si and Hong Do. Um, but one of the poems that I really like, which I cannot remember, but it, it, the emotional feeling really yeah. struck me was the Robert Frost, the road not taken, the not the, taken, no, the road less, less taken. taken. Yeah, yeah the yeah, road right. less taken. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I learned that poem when I was in year eleven or twelve. Okay. Um, to 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 end yeah. this show, can we get you to recite it? Okay. Yeah, and then I'll recite my favourite poem. Okay. Okay, The Road Not Taken by Robert Forrest. Two roads diverged in the yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveller long I stood, and looked down one as as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and want to wear. So as for the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. 
Oh, I kept the first one for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubt if I should ever come back. I should be telling this with a sign. Somewhere age, ages hence, two roads diverging the wood, and I, I took the one less travelled by, and that has made all the difference. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love that poem when I learned in, like, in high school. Why do you love it? Because I was in a stage of not knowing what to do, like after with high school. Life. Yeah, with my life, oh, okay, literally. Right. Yeah. I thought you meant like, or not. <laughs> <laughs> I just no. made an oath. <laughs> Slashing your yeah. wrist. Slashing yeah. Your... yeah, I had Sorry, like depression. I, I had like mild depression during that time. Oh my god! Yeah, we can see see, see the, the moon, moon now. Here. Yeah, Jesse just literally opened the the curtain, and we can see the it's moon so rising beautiful. up. Yeah, oh that's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so um, back to the poem. Mm. So I literally didn't know what what I was would be doing after high school. Yeah. Like I had no directions at all. But this poem had continuously come up to my mind. Like not the whole. I can't remember the whole poem, but like the essence comes up to me when I'm trying to decide which way to go. And it really helped me a lot because I I've taken the road not taken. I mean I've taken the one that. I think I've been always been taking the one that less people would choose. Mm. Yeah, like what having kids? Yeah, having kids. No, as in having kids really young and got married really young. I think because I was really different with my friends. Right. Yeah. 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 And your poem? (laughs) Um, I'm going to read. Hi guys. So my poem. I mean, poetry for me. I can't really. It's like movie. I can't really pick my favorite poem. But the the poem that I want to share with our listeners today is a poem which is actually going to be um, at the beginning of my next novel, which is about a novel about a woman who is looking back on her life um, after falling in love with a man who doesn't love her the way he loves, she loves him. It's mm-hmm. about unrequited love, okay. um, which I think is the most profound type of love uh, i'll go in that mm. uh, you know i won't go into now because it's out in about episode but this poem um just captures so much of the essence of the sort of the the love the monumentalness of female love that i think is just mm-hmm. ugh, like i don't even have words to explain it because this poem really explains it so well and i'm going to try my best to read it okay, um okay. beautifully um so it's a poet called Dorothy Alasky. She's mm. quite young. I believe she's in her 40s. She teaches at NYU. Cool. The poem is called Poem to an Unnameable Man. You have changed me already. I am a fireball that is hurling towards the sky to where you are. You can choose not to look up, but I am a giant orange ball that is throwing sparks upon your face. Oh, look at them shake upon you like a great planet that has been murdered by change. Oh, too, this is so dramatic, this shaking of my great planet that is bigger than you thought it would be. So you ran and hid under a large tree. She was graceful, I think, that tree, although soon she will wither into ten black snakes upon your throat. And when she does, I will be wondering, as I always am, a graceful lady that is part museum of the voices of the universe everyone else forgets. I will hold your voice in a little box, and when you come upon me, I won't look back at you. 
You will feel a hand upon your heart while I place your voice back into the heart from where it came from. And I will not cry also, although you will expect me to, for I was wiser too than you had expected, for I knew all along you were mine. <laughs> okay, Bridget. <laughs> okay, so um, that last bit um, was, if you heard, our dad in the background. <laughs> what was he saying? <laughs> Something about mangoes? Yeah, in Taiwanese. In Taiwanese, yeah. I love Taiwanese. So isn't that a powerful poem? Yeah, it is. It reflects on the emotion of something that you give so much, but you don't receive in return. It's just like, I'm a... The greatest line is literally this one. Um, I am a fireball that is hurling towards the sky to where you are. Like, she's this giant orange ball. It's just, it's like this female love is almost too much for men to handle. Yeah. I love that. Oh, just, God. It reminded, reminded me like a phrase, the, the yeah. idi- what do you call it, idiom? Idiom in Chinese, mm. like moss flying towards the fire. Like yeah. fei'e mm. is it is it a similar term in English? What when, is, yeah. Like a moss that flies into light. You know how yeah, the, during the like evening you have moss flying yeah. indoor because it's light. Yeah. And like in ancient Chinese, um, it described the moss flying to the fire because there's light there. But it's reaching out for something, but it knows that it's, it's dangerous. dangerous as well. It's the same as, I guess it's a similar situation as this poem. Yeah. You know, because the love that you want, you know, it's not, perhaps it's not for you. Healthy, but yeah. yeah, it's not healthy. and But you still want to go for oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it happens a lot to a little woman. I think. Well, yeah, I've yeah. only, I've, I just, I was thinking when I was in the shower last night uh-huh. of this great line, it's actually not true, but I was thinking of my life and the men I've loved and I thought I had this perfect line in my head and the line was, I'm always falling in love with married men. Mm. That's such a beautiful line and I think it would be such a great line for the first line of a, of a novel, Yeah. you know, opening chapter, I'm always in love with married men. Uh-huh. Like what a great voice to start off a narrative, you know. Yeah. But like the thing is, as yeah. Well. But the thing is, I haven't like I haven't been like uh-huh. the man that I, I've loved the most in my life. He uh-huh. he wasn't married, uh-huh. but I have fallen in love with married men. <laughs> you know, you know who it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. so should we wrap, wrap things up? up? Yeah. yeah. So hell, do your spiel. Okay, so once again, thanks to our listeners. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Please give us a rating, review, and share our podcast to your friends. You can find our updates on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Asian Bitches Down Under. We welcome any discussions and feedback. So we'll chat to you next week. Yeah, it's been great to chat, guys. Yeah, it was wonderful. Oh, long weekend this week. Yeah, long weekend as well. Gotta go to the beach. Yeah. Oppressive, oppressive pressure. (laughs) Seriously, freaking Sydney weather. It's oppressive, okay? I'm gonna write an essay about that. Yeah. Alright, guys. See ya. Bye.